are people actually getting tired of no hitters? Or is this just something that people are saying online to get attention and, oh, look at me, I look at the controversial opinion, blah, blah, blah. I can't imagine that people are actually getting that fatigued over this. Good morning, and welcome to the podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. You have no idea how many times I had to restart this opening segment. We're not calling it sports radio anymore. we're, We're embracing the podcast section of it. On Tuesday night, Corey Kluber of the New York Yankees became the sixth pitcher to throw a nine-inning no-hitter. That doesn't even count Madison Bumgarner. You know, that seven-inning no-hitter, which it was a seven-inning game, I kind of consider that a no-hitter. It's not like a rain delay where they were planning to play nine and then they only went to seven. Madison Bumgarner went into that game with an opportunity only to get seven no-hit innings. That should count. It should count, but that's neither here nor there. That's six no-hitters in one year. It is May 20th. The season is barely one-fourth of the way through. The record is seven. I would argue it's already been matched. It seems very safe to say that it will be at least matched this year probably surpassed. I mean, what are the odds that after six through the first month and a half or so of the season, there aren't going to be any more no-hitters from here on out? There's going to be another no-hitter. And people are... Maybe it's because there are two in 24 hours after uh, Turnbull in Detroit pitched one on Tuesday night. But man, people are just... The reaction anymore is just, ah, it's a no-hitter. The daily no-hitter. Like, it, like this isn't an incredible thing that's happened. It's, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't really think there's a second, there's really an argument to this. It's a no-hitter. It's incredible. Oh, there's been six of them. Answer me this. This doesn't count, you know, if you tuned in for the last two innings or last inning, it was on MLB Network, or you, you put it on MLB TV. How many no-hitters have you watched this year start to finish? Maybe one? Maybe you caught one of them? That's... It's nothing more than just like a little blip at the bottom of the MLB network or, or ESPN. That just takes over the, the ticker at the bottom. Whereas like John Means has thrown a no-hitter. Joe Musgrove has thrown a no-hitter. Spencer Turnbull. It's... It's a day. It's yeah, I don't care that it's a daily thing right now because A, it's not. B, it's incredible. Let's just embrace 2021 for what it is. This is the year of the pitcher two. The reckoning, the the electric boogaloo, anything you want to <laughs> put as a moniker on it. This is 1968 all over again. And people are going to complain about, you know, all the strikeouts and all the whiffs and how slow games go. No. This is just how pitchers dominate nowadays. And they are dominating at this point. There is no other way around it. Like, this is as good a pitching year as we have ever seen. Batters are, you know, this is the lowest batting average we've seen for a while. Yes, the OPS and slugging are being saved by the balls, which are still kind of juiced, not super juiced. 
And I don't think that, you know, the changes to the baseball are the big reason why we're seeing this humongous spike right now. Like, we've seen these trends continuing for years and years. And I think, if anything, just a whole year of the difference between a pitcher coming off of COVID going into 2021, I don't think is as strict or as impactful as it is for a hitter coming off. Like, last year, it was kind of even footing for everyone. This year, the pitchers had that, you know, whole year where they could at least throw bullpens and sides going on, and now we're kind of seeing the advantage. They were able to take steps that a lot of hitters weren't able to. Maybe it is the baseball. The person I'm waiting for, whenever Dr. Meredith Willis, whenever she says that, you know, actually the baseballs are just messed up, that's whenever I'm going to completely revoke this argument and be like, you know what, I, I was wrong. She is the go-to authority for everything that Major League Baseball has done to baseballs over the last five or six years. So maybe I'm wrong there, but I don't think that, you know, changing how far a ball flies a little bit is going to be causing this humongous drop in hits and batting average and this humongous spike in no hitters. No, this is a product of pitchers just being better than hitters right now. Just like across the board. And yeah, there have been six no hitters and two of them have been against the Cleveland Indians and two of them have been against the Seattle Mariners. Two offenses that aren't so good in general. I don't really like that argument though. And I, I threw away that argument whenever people looked at the Giolito lineup. You know, for whenever the Pirates got no hit against the White Sox, they're like, oh, anyone could no hit this lineup. No, shut up. No, you can't. You could be putting prime Randy Johnson up against, you know, the Bradenton Marauders. And if he throws a no hitter, that's got to be impressive. There are just so many things that have to go right. There are just so many things that have to go right. One ground ball with eyes, a gork, a bloop, whatever. You can execute a great pitch and give up a hit. Which is what makes these no-hitters so incredible. And whatever the immediate reaction after Corey Kluber throws a no-hitter is, oh, well, another one, I'm getting kind of bored with these, instead of, good for Corey Kluber. Justin Choi, he's been on the show before wrote for fan graphs. He gave Spencer Turnbull his his due because someone needed to. It's a good article. Read it. It's kind of ridiculous that people are reacting so negatively to this. Because here's the thing, and I touched on this earlier. This isn't going to be the last no-hitter of the year. There are going to be more. I don't know when. Maybe the Pirates will be either on the receiving or giving end of it. I mean, it's a lot. Like we just said, four of the teams who got no hit, or four of the six times, it's been Cleveland or the Mariners. It's been a very American League-centric year. Rangers were no hit by Joe Musgrove, and then Corey Kluber. They've all been American League. I didn't put that together until right now. Huh. That's a nice little stream of consciousness thought that pops into your head. But yeah, it's it's a no-hitter. I don't know how any how else to present this argument besides that. 
I'm willing to hear if we start seeing a lot of perfect games. Because perfect game is a different pantheon. Like, John means through a perfect game, and I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if it doesn't officially go down as one. He did not give up the base runner. The fact that it was a drop third strike is the only guy to get through. That's that's rotten. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I, I have nothing else to say there. He that was he could go to his grave knowing he threw a perfect game. Whenever we start seeing a, a spike there, because there have been I, I should know this offhand. I want to say twenty-eight perfect games in baseball history. I'll look it up between segments and we'll see how close I was. That has a different pantheon. If there were four or five of those in one year, I I would probably take a little issue with it. Not well, not saying it's like no, don't count them or anything, but it'd be kind of like a uh, we're kind of watering down how insane a perfect game is at this point. There have been plenty of no hitters throughout baseball history. Plenty of them. Pirates. <laughs> their last one was in '97, and you know what? It was a weird, you know, extra innings, Cordova. It's like, you know what? That's weird. People who you would never think would throw a no-hitter would throw a no-hitter. Who came into this year saying, you know what? Joe Musgrove is going to throw the first no-hitter of the year. Okay, you might have been able to get some sort of odds on that. But it's like, okay. And then in May, Spencer Turnbull, John Means, Corey Kluber, who threw one inning the year before, would face the Rangers again. The Rangers have been no-hit twice. That's Six no-hitters. It's been the same team. Three teams. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. I'm, I'm going off the rails on this. No-hitters are fun. And, yeah, there are probably a few too many at the moment, but not to the point that we should be complaining about this. Embrace this year for what it is. It is the year of the pitcher. Hitters will have their revenge at some point, probably by Manfred rejuicing the baseballs or something or doing something for pitching rules. I don't know. Getting rid of shifts. Something will happen. But for now, enjoy baseball for what it is in 2021. Whenever we come back, we're going to talk about maybe the least consequential position on this team. But the one that's definitely inspiring some conversation. We're going to talk back up there. So I, I was a bit off. There have been 23 perfect games in baseball history. At least at the time of, you know, me recording this. Because, you know, a couple days from now we might be up to 28. Because it is the year of the pitcher. Welcome back to the podcast to be named later. And hey, you cannot have the year of the pitcher without catchers. Yeah, that's what we call a transition in this business. It's, I did say it was a good one, but it is a transition. And the Pirates, they got a scare this week. With with Jacob Stallings, took a foul ball off the leg, off the knee. He's sat a couple days in a row. He's fine. It was a day-to-day thing. He's got to get a couple starts against Atlanta. Okay. You know, that's just, you know, an occupational hazard of being a catcher. Nothing wrong about taking a couple days there. People take issue, though, 
because Michael Perez is not doing well. He's in a an 0 for 26 streak at the moment. And, you know, frankly, who knows if he'll actually get another hit as a Pittsburgh Pirate. Because I, I can't imagine that he's in the best of standings with the organization at the moment. <laughs> Just that. Not that offense is how you should measure a backup catcher. My goodness, that's the last thing we should be using to measure a backup catcher. What you should be using, first of all, is how does he manage his staff? How does he perform defensively? How does he perform as a pitch framer? How does he perform in game planning and game calling? Those are the things that Jacob Stallings did really well. And that's why he hung around in the major leagues until he got that opportunity to become a starter and then made the most of it. Michael Perez, it's tough to be a backup catcher. I mean, you're going to get like a lot of weeks, one, maybe two starts at most. You're not going to pinch hit until late in the game because, you know, you can't burn your catcher early. It's just a lot of, it's difficult to stay locked in as a hitter. And you know what? <laughs> Michael Perez has been evidence of that. 0 for 26. You and me could grab a baseball bat and go 0 for 26. And the thing was, I it feels like a million years ago, I was in Minnesota for those last couple hits, and I liked the approach. He's like, you know, whenever he gets behind, I, I was expected a fastball, I got a fastball, I hit it hard, hit a homer. That was good hitting. So it's not like he's completely clueless about what he's doing at the plate. He has plan. He has, you know, a thought process of what he's trying to do. It's just not working out. I, I've cited meritocracy so many times on this podcast. And frankly, it's hard to say that a guy who's in an 0 for 26 get is is really you know doing his end of the bargain especially since framing wise he's only average it's a really weird way to get this i put this in a live cues answer where he's like he's one of the best at baseball at framing at the top of the zone but he can't go side to side it's very weird so you have this tall skinny strike zone he's you know i think at negative one defensive run saved at the moment we'll just call it you know for simplicity's sake an average fielder all around you know, like literally average, get some time working with pitchers, you know, that it's all good there, but they passed on Tony Walters for this, and I don't think Tony, well, I, I'm too lazy to check up Tony Walters' stats this year because stats are pretty insignificant for a backup catcher in the grand scheme of things, and like padding average OPS, stuff like that, I, I, I'm going to keep hitting on those points, which is why whenever people say, get rid of Perez, bring someone up, it's like, okay, Andrew Susak basically checks every single box that the Pirates like about Michael Perez. And he's on the taxi squad right now. Christian Betancourt, a former top 100 prospect 100 years ago, not anyone who will ever reach that potential now, so I, it's it's kind of, you know, a, a 
fallacy to say, you know, that in the same way that we did with, like, Dustin Fowler or Anthony Alford, where it didn't work out for them, but you at least saw the thought process of, okay, these guys are not that far removed away from being top prospects. Let's give them a shot to see what happens. It didn't work out, but you can't fault that mentality whenever you're going into the year expecting to be a last-place team. You know, maybe... Maybe this lottery ticket that has two numbers scratched off will, will still hit. Backup catcher, what what are you really looking for here? Like, what does Christian Betancourt, what does Joe Hudson, what does Arden Pabst, what does Andrew Susek, what do these players bring right now that it's like, you know what, what we can't possibly keep them in AAA right now over over Michael Perez. There isn't anything. It isn't. It's just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And this could apply to a couple other things, too. I, I Like Kevin Newman. Kevin Newman and Cole Tucker. Kevin Newman is having a bad season. Does that mean it's, okay, send him to AAA, have Cole Tucker up there? No, that's, what are you accomplishing there? I'm not saying that, you know, Kevin Newman wouldn't potentially benefit from going to Indianapolis, trying to get everything right against that type of caliber of hitting. And maybe Cole Tucker will get, you know, brought up to the majors and will click there. But what are we really going for here? You're just swapping out the known for the unknown. And I get, the known hasn't been good. I do not think Kevin Newman is this team's shortstop of the future anymore. I think it's Pergaro. I don't think Cole Tucker is the shortstop of the future anymore. And frankly... His start to Indianapolis has not been very encouraging. It's been basically what we have seen out of Cole Tucker the last couple years. Low batting average. Bleh. Exit velocities. It's just not been encouraging for a guy who is in kind of a make-or-break year. If Cole Tucker doesn't perform this year, what are the Pirates going to do with him? What's Cole Tucker going to do? Like, Do you hold on to this guy? As a roster spot with one option year remaining, whenever you have just this humongous wave of prospects that you've got to add on, you know, that's whatever, like, Swaggerty and Pagero. I listed out this list a long time ago, but, you know, it's it's the make-or-break year for Cole Tucker, and here we are on May 20th. He hasn't shown that he's worthy of a Major League Baseball spot yet whenever the incumbent is hitting barely over the Mendoza line with no power. Yeah, sure, you could rearrange. Maybe it'll click. And it's a little less consequential than, than backup catcher because backup catcher, you've got to kick someone off the roster you know, to add them. But what are we really doing here? What are we really doing here on May 20th where it's like there's absolutely no way that we can deal with Michael Perez for another day? There is no... There is nothing to it. It's just... You got a backup catcher, you got him for his glove, and the bat is really horrible right now. He's hitting what? <laughs> He's hitting less than 100. There's no way to defend his offense. I'm not going to pretend to. My, my <laughs> argument is basically apathy. Say, so let him work with the pitchers, let him continue to develop those relationships, because that's what matters with this year. The year of the pitcher. Make your pitchers as good as possible this year. I think Perez can do that still. I think Jacob Stallings does that well. 
First of all, you can't get rid of a catcher until you know 100% that Jacob Stallings is good to go. Because maybe you just need to add that extra catcher onto the roster no matter what. Michael Perez is not going to be a part of this team long term. I don't think that's a very controversial opinion. They brought him in for his glove, and he can't hit. There are bigger problems on this team than what the backup catcher's batting average is. Lot bigger of problems. Thank you for listening to the podcast to be named later here on DK Podcast Network. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. Get everything that we get, you know, that we offer here. A lot of good shows. Jared Prugarmy will be back on Saturday morning for another episode of Young Bucks. Thank you so much for listening. Fumbled it at the one-yard line. We'll talk again next week.